night country, the night country, the night country is open. Hello and welcome to Millennial Vision. This is the podcast where two millennials who were raised by television gotta chat about it, whether it's old stuff, new stuff, or currently what's hot and we're what we're obsessed with. I am Claire. And I'm Brianna. Wow, what a week it's been. I mean, I'm excited to talk traders, but we're going to save that for the end because first and foremost, I know we have both been watching season four of True Detective, Night Country. One of us more invested than the other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you you talk a little more about that? I know I've heard of True Detective. I remember when the first season came out many years ago, everybody was saying it was incredible. But for whatever reason, I just didn't watch it even though that's something very up my alley I love when everybody's talking about the same show because I think that was the kind of thing that when uh the artist formerly known as Twitter was hot was something people would you know use to to chat about it on and I just didn't watch it but then this season came out and I was hearing little bits about it and because we've had such a drought of really fun exciting shows to watch uh I checked it out but if of course, immediately it was It's about a murder. It's about we're solving what this crazy mystery is. But it was intriguing, and also it's starring Jodie Foster, which I love. Um, so I've kept finding myself really invested for, like, half an episode, and then I would start to, like, pull up my phone and, like, check out what's going on over here. And it's the kind of show that you need to be paying full attention. You do need to be paying full attention, and it's actually really interesting that you mention this because I had to, like, really go back in my brain because I think it was last week when we talked about this, and I was like, oh, I tried to watch season one, but it was a little boring. Mm. I feel like that's what I did. Like, instead of really paying attention, I was playing on my phone or, yes. thinking, like, more passively watching it. Totally. So actually, after watching this season and really enjoying it, I might actually go back to season one. There's actually some theories that I read about in regards to this season that might actually connect to season one in a way that like they haven't really fully explained yet. So I think it could be kind of fun to at least go back to season one. But yeah, it was the same thing for me. I was like, "Mm, this is not clicking. (laughs) That was my big revelation. I was like, wow, TV's so good when you pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, duh. <laughs> I have figured out very specifically where to watch which shows. So mm-hmm. True Detective, I watch at night while I'm laying in bed. While oh, I'm not, yeah. like, my phone's put away. I'm basically going mm-hmm. to sleep for the night. So it allows me to pay attention and enjoy yes. it whereas if i was oh, just spooky yeah whereas night. if i was just sitting on my couch that's like where i watch my reality tv where like i can watch yeah. it a little bit more passively i don't need to totally. be paying Real- attention yeah. so much so. reality is a folding the laundry kind yeah of yeah although you know sometimes like the traders you gotta really pay attention oh, tra- <laughs> no traders you do have to pay attention and i especially noticed during those challenges i tune out but again it's it's a different story. But with the traders, because there is so much nuance, yeah, it's not it's not a normal sort of reality show. It's like the game aspect of it makes it uh, something you have to pay attention to. So there are people in my Discord that do like a live watch chat kind of thing, and I don't follow along with it. But after I watch the episode, I'll usually go back and read kind of what people's opinions are. And I will say a good majority of people definitely tune out during the challenges. Like, 
Some of them fast it's forward, just... some of them tune out. And they're, su- mm. they're supposed to be that way. Like uh, something I read or in, uh, an interview I listened to or something had essentially said like, oh, the challenge is because being a trader is so stressful and there's so much mm-hmm. you have to manage, but they make the challenges kind of easy and not something that like you have to really stress over or think about. So, I mean, it's fine. There are definitely some fun things from the challenge from this week that I'm excited to talk about, but um yeah. yeah, getting back to True Detective, I didn't know, let me see how to describe this. I didn't know how much to be paying attention. Like, mm. I didn't know, are they dropping clues? And this is something that might be fun to try to figure out along the way. Or is this something that you just kind of go along for the ride and then they reveal the big mystery at the end? So what I have found out is there are a lot of clues that are dropped along the way where, like you said, if you're really paying attention, you can pick up on this stuff and kind of help solve it along right. the way. And right. so that was definitely a mistake that was made on my part is I just, right. I, I watched, but I didn't pay like super, super close attention. Well, and and I realized too, because this is a show about a small town where everyone knows each other, I should have known better than to just think all these names they're throwing out are just names like but that's the thing is they keep throwing out the same names but I don't know exactly who they're talking about but again a close watch is something we love we love shows like that like succession Mm -hmm. my gosh like that that's I loved doing that so I don't know why my attention span seems to kind of wane a bit yeah and how far did you get or have you gotten so I watched the first I would say two pretty much playing full attention or two or three and then four I was kind of fading in and out but again and it was getting so complicated too and I think what happened was I wasn't paying enough attention at first that by the fourth episode I was totally lost oh I gotta go back interesting okay yeah yeah that's interesting okay but there were things that I saw that they were planting that I um understood like for I mean we haven't even like really said what the plot is but basically there are these scientists in a lab that they found had frozen and there's some kind of like mystical element possibly but they also found a woman's tongue and this woman had been murdered or gone missing many years before Mm -hmm. so it's how are these things related what's intertwined they mentioned so many names some are regarding this current case some are regarding the past case some are regarding people they know um and then of course there are all the relationships going on with the people in the town at the same time yeah the names have definitely been challenging to follow even like I don't know Danvers you know that's her name but it took me like two episodes to kind of put together like oh when they say Danvers who are they talking about because sometimes they say Chief sometimes they say Danvers and it's like are you talking about the Chief over Ennis or are you talking about the Chief over Anchorage and so yeah I'm sure if either one of us were to go back and start from the beginning and really take it in it would connect a lot of dots but that's a lot Um, The reason I was asking how far you watched is the end of episode four was Uh really intense. Oh, the, where the guy was like in the woods or something and they were like, she's, she's awake. (laughs) I think he's, she's awake. It was just like dark and spooky and crazy. I am not doing my due diligence as a TV fan, to be clear. I know I sound like a moron when I'm like, I can't tell their names because that's my job as the viewer. And also I love a show that wants its audience to pay attention and trusts that the audience is smart enough to pay attention and put all these details together. And that's the rewarding part about watching it. It's like active watching versus passive watching. Yes, yes. 
So some things to kind of share. So I've, I've bookmarked some Reddit theories and just some things that I'll kind of oh, throw out. Okay. But ultimately, some things that I've learned just at a high level is the writer and producer, Issa Lopez, I believe is her name, apparently is indigenous and very progressive. And so I bring that up because some of the theories that I had kind of been reading initially was that Salal were going to end up being the good guys, the mine was going to end up being the good guys, so on and so forth. And it was going to almost end up being like a hero series for these scientists that died, kind of trying to avenge Annie Cowtalk's death. But as I started reading more and more, people were like, well, she's really progressive. Like, I don't see a world where she writes a story essentially saying, like, the indigenous women are bad. So what I've kind of picked up on, and I'll go into this in more detail, but what I've kind of picked up on is this story seems to be about the indigenous women that are going to, I think that are going to be proven to have done bad things, but for a good reason. So some things that we've kind of picked up in the latest episode, and this is up to episode five. So keep in mind, you know, the season finale is tomorrow. And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about this before getting to the season finale, just to kind of throw some things out there and figure out, you know, are we right? Or, you know, we totally off base. We essentially learn that the mine is funding Salal, which is interesting to learn. I guess it wasn't super surprising, but it's interesting to learn because we find out that the water is contaminated and the water is contaminated coming out of the mine, which is killing the caribou. And it is, you know, causing so many stillbirths in the indigenous women who essentially, because, you know, they're looked at as lower class, they are being forced to drink this water, which is why they're protesting the mine to begin with. So we end up learning that the chief over Anchorage knows about the case from a couple of years ago. So when we say knows about the case from a couple of years ago, we're talking about the Annie Cowtalk one. And the, I believe the guy's last name is Wheeler. There was a murder that Navarro and Danvers worked a couple of years ago with this guy whose last name is Wheeler, who ends up, he, he essentially, he was murdered. And in them trying to solve the case, what we learn in this episode is that Wheeler was killed by Danvers and Navarro. We don't really know the full story as to why. What it seems like is that the Kowtok case and Wheeler were connected and Navarro, we know that Navarro kind of got obsessed with that case up until now and it seemed to have caused some kind of falling out between her and Danvers. What we then end up finding out is, I'm getting my murders confused, so let me, okay. <laughs> I. It is so confusing to me. I don't even know what any of the, never mind. I yeah, don't know. so what ends up happening is when we find out the mine is funding Salal, there's that woman. I believe her name is Kate. What is Salal? Salal is the science. Salal's where we first have that scene where the scientists are there and they're working. Like, that's the name oh, of the okay. science. 
lab, the science the site. Okay. Yeah, the site. We learned the mine is funding Salal. <laughs> I know. Like, it is so No, no, no. Because, like, this is what's funny to me is because I know Jodie Foster starts talking about Salal so early, but my brain went, well, don't know what that is. So I guess that's just a part of this story I don't understand, which is, like, <laughs> relatable. the worst viewer. I'm the worst viewer. No. It's it's really and it, well then it starts getting confusing because you're like okay there was this murder a few years ago and there's this murder currently with these guys these scientists that are dead but then you've got this tongue on the ground that connects to this yeah. murder a few years ago and even when you think about the murder a few years ago so you've got Annie who's like kind of the crux between all this she's an indigenous woman and she was killed and you've got this other guy Wheeler that now that I'm thinking about it I don't even know if I know how they're connected but. What we end up finding out in this episode is that the woman who owns the mine, which is essentially, like we said, you know, funding Salal, killed Annie and Hank prior. So the son's dad, uh, I think the son's name is Peter. The son's dad moved the body. And this was a thing that obviously, you know, they were going to, you know, probably take to their grave. But obviously Danvers is kind of onto them. And we see at the very end, which is kind of crazy, and you didn't get to this yet, but, and so this is going to be a spoiler for you, but we see at the very end of, of episode five, Hank, the dad, shows up, and Danvers is there with the son, and essentially Hank says, I just want to let you know, I didn't kill her, I just moved the body. And he raises his gun to Danvers, like he's going to shoot her in the head. And it all happened so fast when he raised his gun, his son ended up shooting him in the head. So now you've got, oh. you got bodies, <laughs> you've got bodies at, at Danvers's house while they're kind of saying, all right, well, we now know that there's ice caves and we need to get into these ice caves. And the chief of Anchorage is saying, no, you can't go to the ice caves. I forbid you. And Danvers, like, first she listens to him, and she's like, okay, we won't. But then you could tell that she kind of sits back, and she goes, well, why would we let a case go cold? Like, why are you okay letting a case go cold? I do remember them trying to convince her that everything was solved and done. And it was, is the chief the lady with the reddish hair? Or is she somebody else? The chief is the guy. <laughs> the chief is the guy. <laughs> This is fun. The chief is the guy that Danvers is This is our new with. podcast where I watch a show yet did not retain any information of it. So you have to explain to me. I'm sure the role thing. will be reversed at some point because I have been there. No, the chief is the guy that she sleeps with multiple times. That so she like goes to his place oh, and it seems I, okay, they have like yes. a history. And she keeps saying, I was supposed to be promoted and instead you put me here. Okay, yes, I remember him. So, yeah, he basically is like, <laughs> he basically is like, I forbid you to go to the ice caves, and she initially agrees, and Navarro, you could tell, is really pissed off about it, and she's like, whatever, I know how to get into the ice caves now, and I'm going to go by myself. The night country is open. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like um, in when Trelawney gives her prophecy in Harry Potter. She's <laughs> like... There can be only one while the other survives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love this voice. It's the mystical Night voice. Night country has been opened. <laughs> so throughout these episodes, we've learned that, you know, the tongue that was found on the ground did belong to Annie. So essentially, here's where I 
think this is going. And one of the things that I put in my notes, to be totally honest with you, is I am worried we're not going to get any answers. Like, I'm worried we're, I'm worried it's going to be one of those situations where, like, they don't tie up all the loose ends because there's only one episode left. And I, that's one thing I do hate is, like, wrap things up. I watched Pretty Little Liars years ago, and it was so fun picking up on clues and trying to solve the mystery. And then there were so many plot holes that weren't tied up that eventually I was like, this is stupid. Why am I following this? Nothing seems thought out. But I have trust in an HBO show, especially one that's an anthology series, to be able to wrap things up in a satisfying way. I hope so. I will say I am apparently after getting onto Reddit, I'm not the only person that's worried about that. People that are in this Reddit have obviously watched every season of this show backwards and front and are able to kind of call out connections, which I'll talk about in a second. But the overarching worry that I have about it not being solved and this seems to be like I said the opinion shared across others on Reddit is the show is called True Detective and I don't I don't feel like we're seeing a lot of detectiving we're seeing a lot of ask a question was the question (laughs) ask the question that's when I was like oh my gosh we've got this like device that they're just using over and over yeah ask the question what's the question which I mean it's kind of cool kind of interesting to see somebody's process but it just It was very heavy-handed. Yeah, so I started to kind of go in and figure out from other people who do they think has killed these scientists. Because we know there's two things right now, right? We know there's a murderer, and we know there's something indigenous, cultural, with the spiral. And we don't know how those two are connected. So I came across this Reddit post that theorizes that the women, the women or woman that killed the scientists is actually, do you remember in episode one, the woman whose boyfriend had beat her and he was like laying on the ground and he was passed out. That was when we first met Navarro. Navarro shows up and she is kind of given a moral choice between arresting this woman who beat the crap out of her boyfriend and knocked him out or arresting the guy that beat the crap out of his girlfriend and forced her to defend herself, in which case, you know, she beat the crap out of him. Do you remember that? Mm, No. It was like at the very, very beginning. So that woman, and this is what I mean when I'm like, oh, they were giving clues a little bit closer than I, like a little bit more than I realized. So this Mm -hmm. woman was missing two fingers. These two fingers, the pinky and the ring finger. And they're, like, cut off at the knuckle. And they're not, like, freshly cut off. Like, it looks like at some point she lost her fingers and they were amputated or whatever. So then this kid, Darwin, who is the son of the young police officer, which I find it interesting his name is Darwin, but I digress, had drawn a photo that I, or drawn a picture that I didn't realize, like I didn't think anything of it, but it's essentially like a picture of a woman, I guess, you know, she looks like she's wearing a dress. It's like a, a kid's little like cartoon stick figure thing with her fingers cut off and dripping blood. And when they find a finger or they find a handprint, You can see three fingers, but there's two fingers missing from this handprint. So I think 
this ends up being important because I think this is what's laying the groundwork to say the women have somehow or most likely killed these scientists. Now, I don't know that we know who these women are. It's obviously the indigenous women. We don't know if Navarro was involved. We don't know if this Rose Agano, who is just this woman out living on the ice, I guess. I don't know. We don't really know who's involved, but I do think it's going to set up this, you know, indigenous women doing a quote-unquote bad, a morally wrong thing, quote-unquote, but is actually the right thing because these scientists are the ones that were, you know, researching or discovering I think it was some sort of like bacterial type thing and that's what's poisoning the water so they've gone and killed these guys now again like you mentioned there's a mystical part of it that I think connects to the spiral that we keep seeing Mm -hmm. I haven't yet figured out about the spiral but here are some things that redditors have picked up on that spiral is seen in season one and apparently they go different directions. So we don't yet know how they connect, but I do think it's interesting that there is a connection to season one. And this does make me want to go back and watch season one to kind of figure out, you know, how could they be connected or where could they be connected? But yeah, hopefully next week we find out more and get some answers because yeah, I mean, as you can tell, even trying to explain it, it's it's a lot. I feel like that that Charlie Day uh meme where, he, meme. Yeah, where he's <laughs> yeah. just like got you know photos on a board and connecting red lines it's it's definitely really difficult to keep track of that is what's so fun about these shows normally because i remember watching also like mayor of east town when that was mm, a big one that everybody I did was love watching. that show yeah um and yeah i don't know this time i just feel like a bad tv watcher or like a student who hasn't done my homework because i'm like drummer this no drummer that no well you're not gonna <laughs> like everything and that's okay <sighs> But I want to like things. I love liking things. I feel that. Yeah, I've definitely been. I'm trying to think of like, that's how it was with me and Game of Thrones at first. Where like, everybody loved it. And I tried to watch it three or four times before it finally stopped. That was the one in particular that I was like, I love things. I love things that are fun. This is fantasy. Everyone's so excited about it. I want to be excited about it. And then I tried watching it and I just couldn't get into it I couldn't understand it and I tried season one twice I think yeah so the thing that clicked for me in Game of Thrones is two things one I looked up a what are they called like a family I looked up a family tree so that I could see the different houses. Because that was the thing that I struggled with with Game of Thrones. Is you've got the Starks. And you've got... Like, they started throwing around so many names in such a heavy accent. That I had a really hard time keeping track of it. So once I got, a, like, a little family tree breakout of all the houses. Things started to make sense. And the other thing... And a friend told me to do this. It was honestly brilliant advice. He said, instead of going back because I probably watched maybe three episodes I just was like I'm out I didn't even get through the first season I was like I'm out I thought it was boring it was just a lot to keep track of and he said instead of go back and start over and instead of trying to keep track of everybody find a character that you really really like and follow them keep track of them and so I ended up finding two characters they ended up being the most evil characters which was really funny ended up being joffrey and um cersei yeah. i like through the whole series loved cersei i'm the, one of the only people i know that loves cersei so much and it's because i was really taken with her you know 
in season one, episode one, and I got mm-hmm. to follow this journey along the way. And that made it really, really enjoyable. That's so interesting. I've actually heard of people doing that on rewatches, especially um, not to, well, to mention Succession again. Uh, it'll They'll say like, watch it with one particular character in mind. And it is, it must be such a different experience because it is such an ensemble. So it's, it's cool to see, see it in a different light, like as if that was the main character yeah. and what their whole life is about. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you maybe are. someday you'll, yeah. you'll go back through and, and watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, speaking of Game of Thrones and traitors and looking for who's going to get the throne... It's time. It's time. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It's time. Dun, dun, dun. Um, it's time to talk about the traitors, which we are, let's see, what episode is this? Episode eight, I believe? Yes. Episode the eight. The traitors yes. US. So exciting. Here we go. Every week, a new twist, a new roller coaster ride, as I believe you said to me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. After this episode is when I sent you the gif of just a roller coaster because it was really up and down <laughs> mm-hmm. and all around. I was like, Mm-hmm. And I felt that because, like, obviously it was easy enough to follow along with, but I'm one of those people that I'm constantly thinking of the strategy in my head. Okay, if this happens, then what's the next move? If that happens, what's so-and-so going to do? And so as all these things kept happening, I found my brain going like, oh, a lot's happening. And what if they do this? And what if they do that? And so on and so forth. So, yeah, I'm yeah, excited to talk about so... this. This one was crazier. So, yeah, this will be fun. I mean, yeah, and that's the fun thing, too, is no matter what, there's always going to be something crazy because that's just the nature of this game and how they keep it going. So we open up on breakfast. We've got CT comes in. He's really just sliding on through. He is just like Him and Sheree. Him and Sheree. And it was really cute. Sheree was excited to be first. Like, it was really cute watching her walk in and be like, oh, I've never been first before. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, so cute. Yeah, and they're both two players, yeah, who they're really just really low profile. But, however, CT, you can tell, is thinking strategy and thinking about what's going on. Um, and and then again, like, maybe Sheree is too, but we don't see as much of her inner um, monologue in her confessionals. So we don't really know what she's thinking. Yeah, like I said, I am hoping for nothing more than Sheree to just be in the final episode and still not really be sure about what's going on. I think I think she's getting there, you know. She keeps winning shields. She keeps winning shields. And she did say at breakfast that she predicted that it was either going to be Bergie or Trishel to be murdered. So she's getting there. She seems to be paying more attention, which is good. So we get Phaedra, and she says the quote. Um, so she's, in her confessional, again, she's very on Peter being, you know, too much. And she's like, don't be a Sherlock the dick. Yeah. Well, this was actually, this was really great. Okay, so this was, this was the first seed that I saw planted for where I'm hoping Phaedra goes next. I was really hoping she was going to do it in the round table. Mm-hmm. when CT starts, I think it was CT basically started saying like, Oh, Peter's being really annoying. And that's when she made the comment about, Oh yeah. Like it's okay to be Sherlock Holmes, but don't be Sherlock the dick. The fact that other faithfuls are saying like, yeah, Peter's being really annoying. He's doing too much. And Phaedra's yeah. in the room for that really sets her up to try to plant mm-hmm. seeds far more than she certainly does this episode, at least about Peter being a traitor. Oh, a lot of them are already thinking it. Like, Sandra's been very vocal that she thinks he's a traitor. And it's crazy to me that Phaedra, and I, I know that Phaedra's trying not to play too hard, which I get, 
but she also hasn't quite found the balance between playing too hard and playing at all because right. some of them have said yeah. like she doesn't really talk game with us she really does make she just kind of makes faces like hmm, i don't know i don't know about that and i don't know she probably honestly last episode but definitely this episode could have and should have started planting seeds a little bit more about Peter. And I do feel like it was a missed opportunity. We'll talk more about that at the round table. Um, Cause yeah. I do feel like she did a good job, you know, defending herself at the round table, but I, there's more that she could have done to deflect away from her and onto Peter. So we'll talk about that. But this was, I thought it was really good that she was in the room when other people were making these comments about Peter being annoying and Peter doing too mm -hmm. much because that's information she could put in her pocket. Oh yeah. So we get more entrances. John comes in every time he comes in. It's so funny he's just, like, to me. Trotting like, along. John, he's just like, but like bumbling around, like do 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 do. Um, <laughs> and it's just so funny because he seems to be on just a different wavelength than everybody else. Um, Kate comes in so nonchalant. She's so funny. Well, she um, made a comment about. I don't know what this was in reference to. It might have even been when she came into breakfast, but she was like, I throw any one of them in a moat for $10. And I was like. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, yes, Kate, that is the trainer's yeah. attitude. So Parvati comes in and the writing really feels on the wall because everybody expects to see her. They're like, obviously she's a traitor. She's here. And she's just sort of like, she seems a little defeated in a way. The way she walks in knows. is a little like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, hi. Yeah, everyone expects to see her. So we find out that Bergie was murdered, which is interesting because as we talked about last time, Trishel was the one that was on Defedra. Um, and we don't really hear the reasoning for why they murdered Bergie because we do get the little turret convo, but literally the conversation is, all right, well, it's going to be Bergie. Cool. Sign it. Yeah. I feel like this was a mistake. I totally feel like if, you know, upon watching back, if Phaedra, and we'll see this, you know, Andy Cohen's going to do a reunion, which I'm very excited about, especially, you know, for Phaedra and Dirty Dan to go at it with each other. He has no idea what he's in for. <laughs> I think if if Phaedra watches this back and she goes, like, what was the one thing I could have done differently? This is this could possibly be a turning point for her. Not getting rid of Trishel yeah. was not good for either one of them. I think getting rid right. of Trishel, maybe they were worried, was going to be a little too obvious. But Phaedra obviously didn't know that Trishel, and this was a question we had last week, right? Like, does Phaedra even know that Trishel's onto her? We don't really know. And so it became very clear that Phaedra doesn't know Trishel's onto her. And that they decided to get rid of Bergie simply because he's Peter's next guy. That's it. They couldn't get rid of yeah. Peter the way that they wanted to. So it doesn't. Yeah, it really doesn't make sense. Like Bergie wasn't doing anything. Um, he wasn't being like proactive. He wasn't. He was just sort of following along. So, so Trishel, we see in a confessional, she really understands the game. She's saying like all these guys are going for a safe thing in Parvati, but I've always thought Phaedra was a traitor, and we learn she's completely correct and she says because she's a poker player she notices that Phaedra has an eye twitch which is kind of like a tell when she's acting strange when she said this I went <gasps> because I feel like Phaedra <laughs> does do that I don't know that I would describe it as like a twitch it's kind of like how we were saying that Parvati like gets that squinty eye with that lip mm -hmm. pout I don't know yes. that I would say it's like a twitch so to speak but Phaedra definitely like does this squinty thing with one eye? And I was like, oh no, she, I think that might really be a tell. And for Trishel to be a poker player, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. I will say 
I feel like Trishel should have kept that to herself. Hmm. I don't necessarily, like, if I were in Trishel's shoes, I don't know that I would have ran to Kevin and John and whoever else was in the room and been like, I think it's Phaedra because she has a twitch in her eye. Mm. Like, there's just some things, like, I get the building alliance thing, but there's just some things that you keep close to your vest a little bit just to, like, keep an eye on or be able to pull out later. And I I think that, I think it was an overshare. Maybe it doesn't matter one well, way or the other, but... I think that she says it because she says Phaedra is going to be more difficult if she stays around longer than, pa- than Parvati, maybe, because they're already so... Like, they know Parvati is a traitor, so it's okay to keep her longer. But with Phaedra, they're saying the longer she's here, the harder it's going to be. So I think that was why she decided to do that. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, she was right, but, it yeah, we'll see how it turns out. So we get our Alan Fit check. Alan Fit So check. he comes in. He's got a... Mar- Hold on. First he comes in yes. and he says, Good morning, my ever-decreasing circle of friends. <laughs> yes, it's so... Funny. This, yeah, I love this character. I love the fact that we are in his castle and he's totally fine with his house guests being, you know, uh, decreasing. So, Alan Fitchek, maroon suit. We got a maroon beret. He has sort of like a pastel yellow button up with a floral ascot, iridescent chartreuse, circular shaded glasses, topped with, uh, topped with an orange. What? <laughs> oh, topped with an orange, light blue, and cream plaid wrap, which I love because it's like a new color combination for him. It's like a softer, uh, it's it's not quite pastel. It's a little darker than that. And then he has like shiny, I think they're Doc Martens, and they might even be maroon. And that's what we see at the ball. Yeah, I love this because, you know, one thing that we've called out is every episode, you know, he's got this... Uh, outfit that he walks in with and then when they go into the challenge or even into the round table we see he starts to like almost like swiss army knife some different things around and so what i love is like this little wrap he you know had it over one shoulder during the challenge he's doing different things what oh yeah at the end he had it over his his head. head Also, we see a reveal later that the lapel of this maroon jacket has a really cool detailing. It's like, it almost looks like um, little, I want to say like not sticks or twigs or like not, it's like brown. So not quite like bones or something, but like it's like lined with like beading of some sort. Mm, It's really cool. I don't think I caught that. So I love like, it is a Swiss army knife. He like, yeah, he reconfigures his outfit and also sometimes (laughs) adds new accessories. And there's a brooch later on too. I loved it. Yes. Very cute. So, Trishel, Peter, and Kevin... Oh, 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 no, 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 sorry. Alan has a guest arriving. Oh, yes, a guest. Well, first he says, Bergie has been murdered. We'll let mm-hmm. bygones be bygones. And then he throws Bergie's picture on the ground <laughs> yes. and says, Bye, yes. gone. <laughs> good one, Alan. I was I like, good that. one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so then he tells the, the crew, uh, you know... We've, we've got a special guest and you could tell they kind of start freaking out, but they've also seen this cat, this creepy looking cabin in the woods. So they immediately start going, it's the cabin. And Kate, especially they did a challenge in season one that was at this cabin. That's so funny that they sort of repeat things. Well, this was not the same. 
different. This one's okay. different. I think it's the same set, you know, the same castle. There's the same creepy cabin, but they definitely did something completely different in this challenge, oh, which okay. I actually really loved. Uh, but in season one, it was really gross then too. So I <laughs> I knew that when Kate was like, oh no, the cabin, I was like, oh no, something's going to happen. And that's why, like, you know, we'll get to the cabin, but that's why you see Kate when she's like, I looked up and I saw a trap door. Like, she knows. She knows what's coming, what to expect. So I thought it was really funny. She was like, oh, no, not the cabin, not the cabin. Because it was really, you think buried alive is bad? Like, imagine having, like, Ooh. maggots on you. This no, is the fear you. factor yeah. aspect of this show. So so before the cabin, uh, Trishel, Peter, and Kevin meet in the armory. And Trishel tells them about her Phaedra theory. And Peter at first is resistant. He's like, we got to just get out traders. She's, Trishel's like, I am thinking three steps ahead. Yeah, which I love. Peter, I loved that. Because, yeah, he was like, I'm just trying to get us one more night. She's like, I'm trying to get us a million well, more nights. Well, it's like what we talked about last week where he's being so short-sighted. That I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yes, thank you, Trishel. You're actually, like, yes. a talking long game here. Yes. And so finally he's like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. So Peter and Parvati make a deal where they think... And, like, they both know that they're playing each other. Or they both think that they're playing each other because she's trying to convince him that she's a faithful. He is pretty sure she's a traitor but doesn't care because he just wants to work with her now. First of all, a couple observation things about this particular conversation. Number one, it felt like there was, like, it felt like they were on a one-on-one date for The Bachelor. I felt yes, like it did. a palpable oh, like sexual tension in a way that there was like <laughs> this yes. connection. When when Peter was like, "Well, I," and kind of like bit his lip and turned away and went, <laughs> "I might have been wrong." <laughs> I was like, "What am I watching?" It was wild. And then you got MJ standing outside listening. Which the whole thing was just wild. And <laughs> she's like, "Excuse me, can I can I steal you for a second? <laughs> exactly. Like waiting to get his rose. It was all wild because. Like, Parvati's really smart. I've said this a million times. She plays Survivor really smart. We know that she's really smart because even Phaedra's called this out. She would have been gone a long time ago if she wasn't playing this smartly in some way. So she's she's really smart. The fact that she let Peter sit there and be like, well, I think I might have been wrong. I think it's Phaedra and I think I was wrong. Just, like, she kind of bought it and I was really surprised by it because she really took it and ran with it i think it's probably because finally she was like oh thank god the heat is off of me so maybe she was just wooed in that way you're probably right but when i look forward to the final fire pit when there's four of them standing around it if it's three faithfuls and parvati she's not winning Mm. like Mm-hmm. They're, she's not winning so I guess I understand this idea like I just want to stay in the game longer she's probably really enjoying her experience and I'm sure when you go all the way to Scotland you want to try to be there as long as possible but I don't see a world where poverty wins this in its current state wow what if you could go from being a traitor back to being a faithful or from traitor to faithful yeah um have they done that I don't 
they didn't do that. Not in not in the U.S. one. I know they've done kind of some crazy stuff in like the Australia one. People like rave about the Australia one. So I started to watch it last night. It was it had such a different vibe to it. It's interesting. Yeah, they like wear when the traders go to the turret. They like wear masks and stuff. It's actually really cool looking. Yeah. Yes, they had masks and it was in like a hotel or something, not a big castle. Yeah, they do it. Yeah, they um, do it in a totally. I think UK does it in the castle as well, the Scotland castle, and then. Australia goes like a totally different place. Well, it's very cool that they kind of just adapt to whatever they need. So, um, okay, so yeah, Parvati's all, oh, I just, I get icy when people are mean to me, you know, sorry. I, I've just been so, so iced out. This was so smart of her, and we'll get to how she talks to John, but one thing I learned, <laughs> this is going to sound, this is going to sound really dorky, but one thing I learned you know, in training at the Apple store. And one thing that they taught people is you can really de-escalate a situation by just using two words. You're right. That is an improv rule too. If you find yourself in a scene, an improv scene where you're arguing, you just say, you know what? You're right. right. And she uses that to her benefit throughout the whole episode. So yeah, we'll talk more about that, but she's you could see her wheels turning and putting together this, like, oh, I get really icy, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, I think it's interesting how she navigates that later on. So we head to the cabin in the woods, the Dylan McDermott Woods. <laughs> Dermot, Derek McDarning Woods. Um, so then we meet Dr. Will, who I apparently is a big brother guy, but he looks like he was cast specifically for this role because he is sitting in a rocking chair wearing like a Sherlock Holmes hat and cape. And he reminds me of the guy, are you familiar with the movie Little Monsters? Starring Howie Mandel from the 80s, Fred Savage, Ben Maybe. I'm so bad at remembering movies, so... Well, Maybe. anyway, there's this really scary guy who works for, like, the Big Bad and wears sort of, like, a schoolboy uniform and has a very, like, sort of – because he's got, like, the sweet sort of looking face to him but has such a scary demeanor. So it's very similar to that. And um, he welcomes – oh, he – again, yeah, he has an amazing outfit and also, like, a cool brooch, and it looks like there's, like, a Mockingjay on it. I'm sure it's not a Mockingjay, but <laughs> that's what it looks like. Yeah, so Dr. Will Kirby, I want to give a little um... – highlight or quick little roundup of who Dr. Will Kirby is. So when Dan came on the traders, one thing you hear about Dan in the big brother world is he's one of the greatest big brother players. He's very well known. Um, you know, he's just plays a really smart game. We obviously didn't see that in the traders, but that doesn't take away from the game that he played in big brother. Uh, Dr. Will Kirby is very similar. Dr. <laughs> Dr. First of all, he's a cosmetic dermatologist. If you couldn't tell by how tight his face was pulled, <laughs> uh, he was the winner of Big Brother 2. And what makes him kind of a really big deal and a legend in the Big Brother world is kind of similar to what we're seeing in Traders right now. Where we're in Traders Season 2 and we're starting to see where the strategy goes and how people figure it out. Dr. Will Kirby was the first person to ever put together a named alliance in Big Brother. They called themselves Chilltown. It was him and two other people. And the other two people were evicted pretty quickly. However, they saw this side. Like, Dr. Will Kirby, again, he ends up winning. But they saw the um, the benefit to having a named alliance and how that can work and how you can use that against other people. And the reason, one of the reasons Chilltown has become 
probably the most icon. Like, if somebody is like, oh, what's the best Big Brother alliance that's ever existed? People without fail pretty much say Chilltown because not only did Will win in season two, but Mike Boogie came back in season seven, season four, or season seven, season seven, and won. And so now you've got an alliance where multiple people within that alliance, alliance have come back in one. And Will Kirby, he's just kind of known for mapping out how the strategy of the game is played today. So I thought it was really cool that they brought him in to do nothing else other than play this character, this weird mm-hmm. cabin person. I love it. Who's been renting the cabin from Alan for the past few weeks. Yeah, he did a great job. I thought it was really, really fun. Exactly. I was like, this feels like an actor who they hired to do this. So we find out it's an escape room and basically they have to crawl through rats and shit and earn money and bugs fall. And I don't really know. There's like a thing with the lights. Again, I'm sorry. Do not count on me to tell you what's <laughs> happening in the challenges. Yeah, so I'll give a I'll give an overview. It is an escape room. Um, they're told they have 30 minutes to get out and there's $20,000 worth of gold within the tunnels and that they will lose $1,000 for every single person that doesn't make it out. When they say make it out, they mean go through the tunnels. So they kind of start trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we get out of here? And they end up finding underneath the kitchen table, underneath the tablecloth, there's instructions with a map with an underground tunnel system that lays out exactly where to go uh, and where the gold is and how to get to it. They also find that there's lights. If the lights are on inside the room, the lights are off in the tunnels and vice versa. So if the lights are on in the tunnels, the lights are off inside the room. So CT, Trishel, and Sandra are the first ones to go through, but they know that some people need to stay back because you need to look at the map and you need to guide them through the tunnels. So of course, Kate, being just who she is, said, I basically, I'm really good on a walkie. I'm really good on a walkie and I can read a map, kind of saying, I don't want to go down in that tunnel. So she says, all right, I'm going to hold down the lights. I'll do the walkie-talkie. You guys go through and I'll guide you. So the three of them start to go through. Oh, and Peter. So it's CT, CT, Trichelle, Peter, and Sandra are the four that are going through. Um, Kevin and all the Bravo girls. So MJ, Kate, Phaedra, and Sheree all stay back. Well, the lights end up becoming a problem because, like I said, when they turn the lights on in the tunnel where it's pitch black, the lights are off in the room. Well, Kate, who's owning the lights, managing it, just happens to look up and see a trap door above her. Because she's been here before, she immediately goes, oh, Kevin, I don't want to do the lights. Kevin, I don't want to do the lights. And she kind of like runs off and stands in the far corner of the room totally covered up. And the reason that she's totally covered up is it's spraying. Whenever the lights go off in the cabin, it sprays, they described it as urine, it sprays nasty smelling stuff on them. It, I mean, they had maggots and beetles, roaches, whatever, I don't know, dropped all over them. Uh, really nasty. And the thing that I thought was really funny is they didn't tell the people in the tunnels that whenever the lights go off in the room, nasty shit happens to them. So they would try to turn the lights back on to make nasty stuff stop happening to them. And the people in the tunnels would go, hey, turn the lights on and start screaming at them without any idea or connection that nasty things are happening. So this was hilarious. The moment MJ saw a single bug, their safe word was haggis. So the moment she saw a single bug, she went haggis and she leaves. 
And you just saw, this couldn't have been more perfect. You see all the Bravo women, one by one, just back to back to back, haggis, 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 haggis. First it was uh, MJ, then it was Kate, then it was Phaedra, and then it was Sheree. And it just couldn't have been more Bravo. Like those women are not, it's just not them. But on the flip side, I do think it's interesting because we've talked about, you know, if people don't need money, what what are the stakes in this for them? And so mm-hmm. they're kind of going, well, if I leave and I only lose $1,000, like who cares? Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, they ended up getting total. They escaped, so to speak, with $15,000 in gold. But because four of them had left, poor Kevin, they all left him in that dark cabin room by himself. Uh <laughs> I think it was CT came back to get him and, you know, they went through, but they ended up getting a whole $11,000. So uh, a lot to go through for really not that much money for them, especially. Exactly. That's the thing about this game. Again, the money is not really matching what they have to do. However, I guess it's just something. They need some kind of incentive. And it's interesting because we were talking about the challenges and how, you know, you kind of don't really need to pay attention. But I guess what happens in these is it's their team building. It's something that might shift how they're feeling about each other. They have to work with people they might not trust. However, the trust is sort of different in this versus, like, I would say, like, Survivor or other games because these games don't really have an effect on the game overall except for they can earn shields. Yeah, and this game is uh, positioned as a quote-unquote team game. It's um, mm-hmm. it's like we were talking about last week. It's a long game, and it is an inv- individual game, but you do have to really lean on the group to get you that far, whereas Big Brother, Survivor, those are all individual games. No matter how you slice it, it can be you know with the Alliance or whatever, but ultimately it's all your own individual game. So yeah, that's how they're a little different. Yeah. So they don't reveal who got the shields. Um, they do. We and... know who got the shield. We know that we... Trishel got the shield. Uh, CT was actually first to the shield and decided that because he didn't light Trishel's torch, that he mm. was going to give Trishel the shield, which I thought was really just CT just winning the award for being the best guy. But they decide not to tell anyone else who has the shield. So as it stands currently... The only people that know who has the shield that I'm aware of is CT, Trishel, and Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we go back to the castle and Parvati whips out the tears for John. This to me was over the top, okay? You know, I think if it were anybody else, I actually thought he was buying it. And I thought she did a really good job in this conversation. I think there's something to be said about when somebody, like the way that she positioned it as I have noticed these, like she positioned it in a way where she's taking accountability, but she's also kind of saying, I'm aware of these things and I'm sorry. And here's how I normally respond to them. And I'm trying to do better. So she was essentially saying, you know, when I feel like my back's against the wall or everybody's turned on me or whatever it may be. I've noticed I can ice people out and put a wall up. And what she's kind of doing from an emotional standpoint is kind of going to him and saying like, hey, I trust you. I'm sorry that I've been like this towards you. I don't mean it. I'm working on these you know, aspects of myself. And I thought he bought it. She turned the tears on, which might have been a little too much. But when he said to her, this is the first time I've seen you get emotional. I thought that he bought it and she thought he bought it too. So I thought 
it was an interesting conversation that I thought initially went really well, but you know, we'll see how that ends up going we'll at the round table. Up. So then we cut to Phaedra. Ooh, pork belly, yummy. By herself, just like she like eats the pork belly and she like, mm, 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 that's good. Mm, like she was so shocked. It was so good. It was hilarious. I just I need like a Phaedra cam. 100% oh, then, of the yes, time, that's what I said too. Yes, cam. I know. It's uh, and you know they have so much footage like that. I love how they edited in edited that in to make it seem like I I don't know, like it was just unusual that she was alone, but of course they all spend moments like yeah. that because they're just living in this castle. Yeah. But it was just such a funny thing where she was like, "Where is everybody?" Um so then Well, then then she starts going, "Where is everybody?" and she goes and she finds them all talking. Yes, And what they're that's all right. talking about is Phaedra, Phaedra. being a traitor. Yeah. And you can tell Kate 100% is like, I'm not into it. But yes. Michelle keeps being like, I have notes. It didn't dawn on me to take notes. And part of the reason is, is in Big Brother, you're not allowed to. You don't have anything in Big Brother. Like, I don't even think they give you a pen. You're not allowed to take notes. Everything has to be in your brain. So oh. when Michelle started talking about notes, I was like, oh, my gosh, they can take notes. They probably all have notes. Like, I would love to see those notes. Mm-hmm. The fact that Trishel is the only person that picked up on what Dan was doing is yeah. shocking to me. And I wasn't sure that that was the case, that maybe it was just editing that we had only seen Trishel be the only person that talks about it. But you can tell that she's fighting an uphill battle in positioning that is a traitor because why else would Dan have done that and no one had even thought about it and that's crazy to me because that well, was the and, first thing that jumped out at me when Dan was exiting yes. well and it's crazy too because even if you had no no thoughts in your head no no reason to believe Phaedra was a traitor wouldn't that accusation alone at least get your wheels turning totally, a little bit totally because it's the same with like the way they think Peter is a traitor like because he's doing too much. Like don't you? Like he's not a traitor, but they're they're theorizing about it just because of his behavior. So it's like similar that the same didn't apply to Phaedra in that situation. Yeah. Where it's just once heats on someone, you're gonna think both things are possible. Yeah. Because that's the fact of the matter is everybody's either a traitor or faithful. Yeah. And you know when Phaedra walks in, and again this is. I think I've watched so much Big Brother that I've seen people just do a better job of this than what I saw these people do. You know, Phaedra walks in and they just become quiet. Where mm-hmm. They obviously were talking about her. And Kate's like, oh, got to go to the bathroom. Whereas, like, in Big Brother, there are so many little side conversations that happen with these alliances that when somebody walks in that's not supposed to be there, they go like, oh, yeah, okay, that was really funny. So, like, they continue on this fake conversation so that the person that's walking in doesn't realize they were just talking about them and the fact that everyone like that's I mean especially Phaedra of all people they know by now that she's the smartest person in the room so (laughs) you could tell that she was like "Mm, they're talking about me so yeah then we we go to the round table oh yeah so Alan says round and round the round table the ragged rascal ran a lot of rolled r's I wish I could roll my r's (laughs) 
The ragged rascal ran. <laughs> so Parvati talks first and explains that becoming friends with Dan was a mistake and she she got, quote, clammed up like a shell. So it's like, again, she's like, oh, I just, I, I you know, I became cold and I made a bad choice and that's why now everybody is sort of, you know, ostracizing me and that's why I'm acting the way I'm acting. Not because I'm a traitor. Uh, so Trishel then talks about her notes on Phaedra and she says I'm going to bring them up in ascending compelling order <laughs> so, so basically she's so correct though and she talks about the eye twitch and of course Phaedra is like I have never in my life heard of such a crazy thing you know one thing that I took note of is you know Phaedra says well you know give me your your evidence or your notes or whatever and Trishel essentially accuses her of not having a reaction, not being nervous, not showing any signs of a reaction oh. at the re- yes. at the breakfast. And I'm going, wait a second. Is she underreacting and not showing enough? Yeah. Or is she overreacting? Because Dan accused her of overreacting. Well, but Dan was also wrong because he said that about her, even though she's always been very... Totally. I think they're both wrong. I think that Phaedra is reacting. I think knowing knowing what I know about Phaedra and how long I've quote unquote known her, aka watched her on my TV, Phaedra is doing an incredible job of acting simply because this is who she is. I don't think Mm -hmm. she's overreacting. I don't think she's underreacting. I think that she is reacting. This is who she is. It's how she is, which is why you see Kate go like, it's Phaedra when Dan accused her of overreacting. Like, no, this is just who she is. So I just thought it was a conflicting thing that you're going to try to like make a point that she's underreacting when just a few weeks ago she was accused I mean, of overreacting. And I don't think that that's a reason to take note of somebody unless it's really glaring. I agree. And also this is just such a situation where everybody is on guard. They're not acting normal. So just the way someone is acting doesn't tell you that much because even the faithfuls have to act a certain yes. way. Like they're not being normal humans. So yes. like your your barometer is off yes. no matter yeah. what. And I think the, the eye twitch is when Trishel talks about it as I'm a poker player, the eye twitch to me almost feels dangerous to Phaedra's game. But Kevin brought it up. And you, Kevin kind of took the words out of Trishel's mouth because when he brought it up, she was like, yeah, I noticed that too. But Kevin brought it up. Yes. And I think it's a lot easier to dismiss when Kevin brings it up as just mm-hmm. like a, you're seeing things that aren't even there. Mm-hmm. Also, side note, Kevin looks so fucking hot at this round table. <laughs> he has like his shirt. He's like, wearing that like really tight shirt. And it's like a little like, It's like very thin. Yeah, and he's got like, his hair and he's got like a little stubble on his face. I just was like, wow, you look really attractive here. I look really hot. Wow. wow that's his method of distracting. The, the eye twitch to everybody. me just seemed like John's breathing. Like it's different coming from Trishel, who's like, I'm a poker player and I pick up on those tells right. from anyone else. It just sounds like John's breathing and it's easy to dismiss. Yeah, that's true. And you can tell that was in her notes and she was going to say it, although he said it first. Yeah. So then she was like, oh, yeah, me too. She's like, I know that too. Yes. She is a she so. is, she is a pick me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it kind of discredited her uh, observation a little. So Kate defends Phaedra fully. And I love this too because 
Kate is just so objective in this situation since she's like, whatever, I just got here. I don't want to be throw here. You all and I'm for just going to yeah. And I mean, obviously, she's also got to be playing a character because they all are. But this character she's playing is incredible. I absolutely love how just uninterested. Yeah, no, this is this is Kate. I'm sure there's a part of her that's a character on TV versus who she is in real life, but like this is why she's a reality TV star because she yes. this is who she is on camera and it's really fun and funny to watch. She moderated a panel at BravoCon and she's just like so she's so funny because she understands them and is on the same wavelength, but she'll talk shit to them and it's just like she really doesn't give a fuck and it's really really good. No, exactly. And I, that's what she's, I love when people are just so comfortable being who they are that their humor just comes from that. It's like she's literally just being herself and saying exactly what she's thinking, um, which is a really interesting thing in this situation because she's not, I, to my knowledge, she's not trying to manipulate anybody. She's no. literally just saying what she thinks. No, she played she this role thinks- last season too. She didn't come across as like trying to manipulate anyone. She just was like trying to be observant and tell people what she thought. And she was very wrong. A lot in yeah. season one. I mean, she's wrong this yeah. time, too. Yeah. But she does it with <laughs> such conviction, which is what makes her such a good faithful. That yes. She just does it yes. with such conviction. So basically, now Peter is saying uh, he's on, he's saying Phaedra's a traitor and trusts Parvati. However, Phaedra brings up the quote backdoor deal that he tried to put forward in the armory, which was so smart because that's when he pulled Parvati and Phaedra aside. And Phaedra was like, no, 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 I do not want any part of this. So she literally is like, Peter, I know that you were trying to make a deal with her. So this is obviously super suspicious. So we're all suspicious of Peter and we vote. And it, all the votes are either for Phaedra or Parvati. Pretty much 50-50, but then ultimately Parvati gets voted out. Yeah, so I want to dig into the strategy of this a little bit. First of all, Phaedra called Peter the faithful king. And they panned to Kate. I don't know if this was an edit or if they actually panned to her making this face, but the face that she made was like, oh, like, oh, <laughs> she really said that. This is what I was referencing a little bit earlier on when I said, you know, Phaedra should have been planting notes much sooner about Peter being a faithful because, or excuse me, a traitor, because when Phaedra is able to say, oh, well, you two have a backdoor deal and really specifically say what happened because they didn't, neither one of them denied it. They admitted to it. And mm-hmm. now you've, you've flipped it on its head and you've, you know, there are already people's, they're already down on people's mind, but you've now flipped it on its head. And we start to see this, you know, after the round table, but if she had been planting seeds a little bit stronger, she might have been able to even turn the vote uh, at the round table a little bit more towards Peter and away from her where people would have actually started to vote Peter out instead of voting mm-hmm. Phaedra out but she hasn't played that strong enough yet and I'm curious to see if she does well it's just interesting to see because Peter came on so strong as a faithful I think people had a little bit of whiplash and took a minute to be like wait a second maybe this is suspicious behavior and he's not a faithful yeah yeah so I thought it was, John made it very clear. You know, we talked last week about um, Parvati at the torch lighting ceremony not saying anything and being smart for that so that she didn't look like a pick-me like Trishel. And I think that Parvati's little conversation, emotional conversation, might have worked with anyone but John. I think mm. it seems like it would work on John, but you have to think, this dude's a politician, 
That's right, because at the roundtable, he pulls out pretty much everything they talked about in the their discussion, but flips it in the other way and is like, and because of that, I think that you're lying. Yeah, yeah, and he made it very clear, you know, you were the only one that didn't say anything at the torch lighting ceremony, which to me makes me think that you know that you're safe and you don't have to mm. say anything, mm-hmm. and now here you are pulling out all this emotional stuff. So it didn't work on John. I think he saw through it, and I think that's the politician in him. Uh, I loved that uh, CT, I was really worried that Castle Daddy was going to turn on Phaedra, but ah, I thought he, 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 I wrote down what he said. He said, I can't turn on somebody who lit my torch based on the word of a known liar. It just doesn't sit well with my heart Man. because, you know, they're, they're really banking on Trishel, especially if banking on Dan wouldn't out Phaedra as a traitor if she wasn't a traitor. And now CT mm-hmm. is saying, but wait a second, that guy's a liar. That guy's a liar. And he did all the lying. And we now have Parvati saying that he was a liar. So I'm not going to take his word because he's a liar. And I thought, yes, this is really great. Yes. Uh, also, that's where he said, but I'm I'm here for, I'm here to find traitors, not for love. And I thought, wow, what if The Bachelor met the traitors and we had a new series where some people were traitors and some people were looking for love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so some are trying to find love and some are trying to vote everybody else out. I don't know. There's something there. It would be fun, yeah. So at Parvati's exit, uh, I wrote down what she said because I thought it was honestly kind of funny. She said, I've spent the last two years of my life practicing, you know, she's standing in a circle. You know, are you a faithful? Mm-hmm. Are circle you a traitor? Truth. And she says, I've spent the last two years of my life practicing truth-telling, emotional authenticity, mm-hmm. and really aligning myself with truth and integrity. And I thought, for two years, huh? You've been practicing that for two years. Like, what were you doing before that? Why only two years have you been practicing before that she was on Survivor. emotional <laughs> authenticity and integrity? It just made me laugh. Because she's a yoga teacher. The way, the way that John waved goodbye to her, he was like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think she could be on some kind of healing journey personally. I think she is. She was brought to this game. Also, I did love that bit where Kate was talking about Bikram yoga. She's like, I took a Bikram yoga class once. It's so hot. Gosh. And that yoga teacher voice they do, trying to keep you calm while they're walking you through hell. (laughs) She says it's so funny because, because Parvati is a yoga teacher. So there, she was trying to, you know, say, you know, she's trained to uh, speak a certain way. So, So funny. Uh, So Peter and Kate have sort of a face-off in the kitchen, and she says she thinks Peter is a traitor to the faithfuls because he lied, and he's just so annoying. (laughs) Yeah, you know, she did this in season one, too, where there were people, she would just be in her confessional, confessional, and she'd be like, I think this person's a faithful, but I don't like them, so I think they should leave. (laughs) It's like, you do, I think that's an interesting Uh... thing about the faithfuls. Even the traitors is, you have to like each other enough to trust each other and want to work with each other. And if you're in a situation where you don't like somebody, you just like, you technically have the power to get rid of them simply because you don't like them. And I, it's, she, this is where, uh, Phaedra did a good job and I hope she capitalizes on this because Peter pulls Kate aside. And I thought, why Kate? Why not Sandra? Mm. Why mm-hmm. why a Bravo person? Because you're so you've been so convinced that the Bravo girls are all working together. Well, Kate really was going after him in the round table. Yeah. But a couple things about that. Number one, the round table's over an hour long. We see a very small portion of it. And there's a lot that's talked about there, and it apparently gets very heated. So we don't know for sure that Kate's the only one. That's just mm-hmm. who we saw. But 
I don't necessarily think that Kate is going to be the most objective when it comes to the Bravo people. I think she feels a slight, she did this in season one too. You know, there were a couple Bravo people on there and they just naturally, they just naturally come together. It's because of the network that they're on. It's not that they know each other or anything like that. It's that they just, they do the same thing. I thought he would have been smarter, honestly, to go to, of all people, Sandra. But instead he goes to Kate. And she basically uses him just flip-flopping. Like, oh, you thought Parvati was a traitor all this time. And now all of a sudden you're saying she's a faithful? Why are you doing that? Is that because you're a traitor? You're trying to tr change your strategy? Mm -hmm. And we see Kevin is also struggling with that. Kevin also is going, well, wait a second. It really bothers me that we've known Peter was a faithful this whole time and now Peter's changing his story and so yeah working with a traitor working with a traitor yeah so uh why would you work with a traitor unless you're a traitor and so I think I'll be interested to see you know how Phaedra plays this especially now that we get to another recruitment who she recruits and um being able to get that inside information that you know Peter did pull pull her aside yes so Phaedra heads to the turret by herself, and Alan enters and tells her she has... <laughs> so, hold on. Alan tells her that she can recruit someone, and that person can either recruit or get murdered. So basically, it puts a lot of pressure on the person that she recruits, because either they're, they're staying as a traitor or they gotta go. So immediately it's like, oh, wow, that would be so interesting if she chose Peter, because he can't say no this yeah. time. Yeah. And that feels very much like what the producers were getting mm -hmm. at. They're like, look, he's gotta join you. It didn't seem like Phaedra gave it a, a thought. No, not one <laughs> thought. Not one she thought at all, which is so beat. interesting. Yes, be literally, yes. Yeah. So he's like, so who do you want? She's like, Kate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who do you want, Kate? I think there's a part of her that's looking back at the last recruitment going, it should have been Kate then. Because I think yeah. it should have been either Kate or Trishel the first time. Totally. So she didn't skip a beat. But I think Kate will be good. But I think Peter would have been good. Peter would have been. I think Trishel would have been better. Well, okay. So also it is complicated at this point now with Kate because she was defending Phaedra in such a way yep. that now it's going to just get a little fishy because now Kate's going to know that Phaedra is a traitor. So, I, I mean, obviously Kate will be fine because she's she has no problem just being herself. But, yeah, it is an interesting turn of events having, like, the, the fact that she was so defensive of Phaedra beforehand and now is in this sort of alliance with her. Yeah, well, the good thing about that is Kate's been defensive of Phaedra since she came on. You know, her, like, first week there or first or second week there is when Dan was accusing accusing Phaedra and Kate was the one that went to bat for Phaedra initially. It was like, wait, she's overreacting. You say, oh, my Burgalicious, that's overreacting. And we know that Kate didn't come in as a traitor. They're not just going to bring somebody in off the bat as a traitor because that would really be weird. And I don't know, yeah. it would be weird. So I, I think it'll be, I think Kate will do a good job. I think if anything, it'll be really good TV. I am curious to see, though, not just in this, like, even in the show moving forward, I'm curious to see, when you bring somebody in the second to last episode, what, why, why should you, when you're standing at the final four, 
why should you keep them and split the money with them? Which is what happened in season one. You know, they brought in Ari as the recruit so late that at the final four, they had two faithfuls and two traders standing there. And Serene knew who the last who the trader was. What they have to do with the final four is there's like this, they're standing around a fire and there's this bag of dust, so to speak, that they throw in there. And Alan essentially says, if you feel comfortable that you've gotten all the traders and all the people standing here are only faithfuls, uh, throw this one in and it's green. And so they go mm -hmm. one by one and everybody says green. So Ari said green, the other two said green, and it gets to Sari and she throws red. And so Alan goes, oh, well, Sari, it seems to me that you're not sure that you're all faithfuls. Can you tell me who you think at this time at this circle as a traitor and she says Ari and Ari instead of putting up any sort of fight basically says you're right I am a traitor so then they go through they do the same thing green green Sari now says green Ari's out of it and then they out Sari as a traitor and because Sari had already outed Ari she now gets to keep the money all for herself and she ah. basically says I had a hard time deciding she's she said she made that decision because between the, the final round table and going to the fire, there's quite a bit of time in between. They're all sequestered from each other. None of them can talk to each other, I think, for like a day or two. And she said, the worst thing you can do with me is put me in a room by myself where I can think about things. She said, and I started to go, why should I split the money with Ari? He's coming in here. I've recruited him so late in the game, and he's going mm -hmm. to the end capitalizing on mm -hmm. taking this money and I've done all yeah. the work. And so I yeah. would be curious if it does end up being both Phaedra and Kate. First of all, Kate's in a very beneficial situation because they are suspecting Phaedra already. But if it's Kate and Phaedra standing there at the very end, would do one of them throw the other under the bus and say, yeah. you know, because why, why should Phaedra keep, keep Kate at the end and split the money with her? Nobody's safe. The twists keep coming all the way through. She said, we'll be a murdering duo. <laughs> She's so excited. Well, <laughs> I also loved the way they did this. We go to the dungeon, which we haven't seen this season. No, I, um, we didn't see that last season either. I don't think. This was, this was new, and I loved it with Fergus. So she gets locked in the dungeon, yes. And I love how dramatic it is because I take it that means probably Phaedra will come up to her and say, hey, I got an ultimatum for mm -hmm. you. I love how dramatic yeah. this is and how they use all the little bits of the castle because it makes so much sense. Wait, she was like, I didn't even do anything wrong. Why am I here? Yeah. What did I do wrong? She's like, will you bring me some champagne? <laughs> she called it a shithole. Like, so yeah, I know. She's like, I, she's like, I hate this place. <laughs> shithole. Like, <laughs> the, the audacity. <laughs> she is so funny. The way that, that she's just... constantly like, why am I here? I just, like, the power she has in the fact that, yeah, she doesn't want to be there. She clearly doesn't need any kind of uh, money from this or, you know. I have heard that she is one of Alan's favorites, and that's why he wanted her to come back this season. Oh, which is so yeah. funny. Claire, you really should go back and watch season one. Because you will spend quite a few episodes going, Kate, hey, what the fuck this is not even fun to watch like why are you doing this and so and she just she's very uh 
just responds in the moment. And so yeah. it was like, even in season one, when she figured out that what she was doing was actually a good strategy for her as a faithful, she was like, well, wait a second. Now I'm, I'm here at the end. So now I'm going to participate. It was just like the fact that he asked her of all people, but uh... he was on watch what happens live. And I saw some clips and I think he was that the one where he, where he listed his top five. That he favorites? was surprised. No, he was like the or people funniest? that he was surprised was still in the castle or something oh. like that. Yeah. The first one out of his mouth was Sheree, which was hilarious, but he, he apparently loves Kate, which I mean, you can see I, why. I love it. Yeah. I think I saw him list the top five funniest people. And I think Kate was number one. Yeah. She's, she's just funny. That was so good. Um, also, I saw an interview with Alan, and he was like, this is the campus thing I've ever done, and that's me talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, he's, so really, he's really good at it. He, he just It's because he he embodies it, so it's, it's great. And yeah. he's got the outfits I mean, and the rolling of the R's. There's just over-the-top accent. He's really good. Like, if you're going to do that role and not have fun with it, what are we doing here? Totally. Why are we doing yes. this? Uh, so good. So good. Well, I mean, we're, I don't know how many episodes we have left. But I think we have two there. episodes. I'm pretty sure it's 10 episodes. So we have two. Um, yeah. And then we'll see, see who is in the final four. Do you have any predictions who might be in the final four? thing is like it just gets so funky like okay i kind of feel like ct is gonna squeeze his way through um like peter's kind of a crapshoot because i know everybody's like ready to get rid of him so he might just be voted out just because but then again he's kind of got away he keeps but he's been lucky though because he's gotten he's gotten lucky. saved because of the twists in the game essentially yeah 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 uh, I, I i i expect to see sandra standing there at the end oh yeah oh my god there's so many people left that's right because there's kate sandra's mj yeah i can't remember how they deal with this so many people left yeah who do you think will be there uh sandra i think i so i i expect that kate uh accepts i think that she's gonna want to be a traitor even if even if the um what do they call it the uh, ultimatum it wasn't or be murdered i think that she would still accept uh, so that would be so funny if she was like, no, I don't know why I came back. I <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I think Kate will be standing there. I don't think they suspect her. Her name hasn't come up at all, especially with her coming in late at the game. But if they were smart, they would know that another trainer is going to be recruited. At so, this point. and that's kind of the, the beauty of it being only the second season is we don't know. Like, we, like, do they know that somebody was again recruited? Because I was thinking about it, if they don't recruit, this didn't happen in season one, so I was thinking about, like, if they don't recruit a second person for Phaedra, she's right, she's in there by herself, and that kind of sucks. That's true. Also, though, the faithfuls think there may have been four traitors to start with, so they might think there are two left. Yeah, they don't yeah. know how many are left, yeah, so... Uh, I think it'll be Kate. I don't know if Phaedra's going to be standing there. I can't remember how they dwindled all the people down last time. Um, I think Sandra will be there. Uh, I think there's a good chance Sandra wins everything. She might be the first faithful to, to win. Um, and maybe CT. Maybe CT. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out. All will be revealed. All will be revealed. Man, 
exciting. Well, ooh, I wish it were Thursday. I know, waiting so long. Um, quick, quick little housekeeping, though, for people who, I guess, make it to the end of the episode. Uh, because this is a brand new podcast for us, we've been learning the ropes a little bit, especially around editing. So I know that the episodes have been coming a little late in regards to the next episode of The Traders coming. Uh, but I, I do hope to have this one up much sooner. Uh, so that you're not listening to, you know, an episode of last week before the one for this week. So uh, I plan to work on that and get this up as soon as possible. But thanks for those who listen, you know, being patient That's with us true. while we figure and it we out. Have, we do have an Instagram at Vision, and we will hopefully get active on there. But we could pull fun stuff from this show, the things we've been talking about, all these great Phaedra CT moments need to be captured forever yes we should do that we should do that yeah but otherwise uh i'll see you next week for uh the final check-in not the final check-in the second to last check-in the second to last supper yes all right (laughs) all right bye bye (laughs) we did Uh. it right on that